It is really lovely to see you. Lovely to hear the hubbub. Please carry it on downstairs. We have tea and coffee. Uh, there might be the odd biscuit downstairs. And I mean very odd biscuit. Uh, downstairs after the service, please do stay. If you are a visitor uh, or you're a new student, uh, we have these welcome packs available at the back of the church. And anyone can take one. You can be coming here 50 years and take one if you want. Uh, and inside, uh, there's a little bit about the church, all the, the different things that we do together and uh, all the ways that you can be involved, uh, you can be supported and meet with God. Just tons of cards here about what's going on, what God's doing here and how you can join him at work. So if you've never had one of these, please do get one. They'll be at the back there. We start our series on worship today and we're going to be thinking about sung worship, corporate worship together. So I wonder if you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're actually going to read from verse 18. Sorry to, to surprise you there. Don't worry. I'll, you catch up with us. I'll read verse 18. It's page 1176, 1176 in the Pew Bibles. It might be on the screen as well. It's Paul writing. Paul is in prison. You remember last week we had a little look at this when we were thinking about why church. And uh, we said it's amazing right in the center of this letter. Paul, chained to a Roman guard, talks about these things that are burning on his heart. He urges the church to live in unity and to get on and speak with one voice and praise and glorify God with one voice. Here we go. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, which should come up. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, in your mercy this morning, we pray that you would draw very close to us. I thank you that you are here. We don't need to convince ourselves that it is true. It is as true as the pew we're sitting on, the ground we stand on. You are here. That is your promise. And we pray as we gather together around your word that you would draw very close to us, that you would open our ears and open our eyes, and open our hearts, that we might hear you, that we might see you, and we might taste you and know that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a few, few opposites, just uh, sort of an icebreaker. We all hate icebreakers, I know, but just bear with me. What's the opposite of hot? Good. It's going to be all right, isn't it, today? It's not too hard today. What's the opposite of black? White. Yeah, come on, a bit louder. What's the opposite of in? Shake it all about. 
What's the opposite of worship? Not worshipping. Thanks very much. Very good. What's the opposite of worship? It's a good question, isn't it? Anyone want to give us an answer? Entertainment. That's quite interesting. David? Devil worship. The opposite. Okay. Thanks very much. Yeah. The opposite work. Yeah. The opposite of worship is participation. Okay. I need to think about that one. But silence. Silence. Opposite of worship, silence. Right. So... Dawn Getley. Disrespect. Okay. They're all very worthy answers, mostly. Very worthy answers. Good answers. Right, flick with me to to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Because we get the answer in Romans chapter 1. Verse 18. These are are heavy words, okay? These are heavy words. And Paul is writing in in Romans the reason why there's sin. Why there's the need for God. Why there was a need for God to come to earth, Jesus, and die in our place for our sins. The wrath of God, the righteous anger of God, that means. The righteous anger of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God was, is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So here Paul's saying, anybody who gets up, looks up, looks at the world, looks at their hands, the way they can pick things up, do stuff, anybody who looks at the world should be able to say, there's something going on here. How did all of this happen? Where's it all come from? What's it all about? What's it all about? What's it all about? And it's made clean, in fact, clear. In fact, one of the Psalms says the skies they preach about God. They show God's goodness. God is in the fingerprints of creation, everywhere to be seen. But people have seen it, and they have not worshipped it. For, here we are, verse 21, For although they knew God, they they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them 
over in the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is ever to be praised. Amen. The opposite of worship is sin. The opposite of worship is sin. That's what this passage tells us. That God created the world, God created people, and they could see God, but they did not worship him. And everything that we call sin, lust, anger, envy, pride, all that stuff we call sin is a result of the great sin, not worshipping God. The stuff we call sin is the stuff God's given us over to because we have turned around to God and put our hand up in his face. Therefore, this series on worship might be the most important series we've ever preached because the opposite of worship is sin. About 400 years ago, uh, a group of godly men came together to work out a question and answer session that people would use to teach theology. It was called the, the Westminster Catechism. And the shorter Westminster Catechism is quite short. Well, it's still got about 50-odd questions. But through it, you learn the creeds, theology, the reason for sin, the reason that God came to earth. And it's a fabulous thing. The very first question is this. What is the chief end of man. By that, the questioner means, what's the point of it all? Why are men and women alive? Why are we here? What's the, what's the purpose of people? That's the question. And this was their answer. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The reason you were born is to worship God. The reason you are alive is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. The two go together. Worship and enjoyment go together. So not only is this the most important series we should hear, it should also be the most joyful because worship is about joy. It's Good. What is worship? Worship is the act of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and our hearts. Worship is the act of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and our hearts. And it's all of life. We know that. Last week, Alan had us all dressed up. Well, not me, but we were all dressed up here. People at the front. And he said, look, worship is all of life. What you're doing in the co-op or fighter jet or teaching or building or being a doctor, all of that, all of that is worship. When it's done to glorify God and it's from the heart. So the way we greet one another, the way we drive our cars, the way we treat our employees, the way we treat our employers, it is all worship. 
all of it. But I want to concentrate on corporate worship, what we do. You see, church is the concentration of all of that. All that goes on in the week, all that we've done in our cars, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our fighter jets, behind the tills, at work, behind the office, in the classroom, all of that gets distilled and concentrated and we come together and we worship. We don't have a time of worship. We haven't had a time of worship just now with Andy. All of the surface, all of the service is worship. When you greet, you held some people, you wrapped your arms around people, you wrapped your arms around one of God's masterpieces. All of the service is worship. There are people who have come through this door this morning who are broken hearted. Some people in this room have been told their job is ending next week. Or they were told on Friday, don't bother coming in again. Some people have just found out their relationships are over. Or friends they've known for years don't want to know them. Other people have come here through gritted teeth and tears. That's worship. Sacrifice of praise. I'll bring a sacrifice of praise to my king. Everything we do is worship. When we meet, when we give, that's worship. You know one of the last places to get converted? The last place in your life to worship? It's your wallet. But having said that, I've been blown away this week by people who have just said, I was touched last week. One couple gave me 500 pounds, not me, the church, 500 pounds in tennis. Breaks my heart. He praises God. That's worship. It's costly. Another couple have said to me, I'm up in my giving by 40 pounds a month. Now you might think, why are they telling everyone, making a big song and dance with it? Because it's encouraging. I know the right hand's not supposed to know what the left hand's doing, but it's encouraging. As people hear and say, I want to worship God this way, with all that I am and all that I have, I worship God. When we preach, when we come around the word, it is worship. As we direct our hearts and our minds and our focus to God's word, it is worship. But I want to zoom in even closer now to the sung part of our worship. Our sung worship together. Music is really important to me. We, we know in, in Shakespeare there's these famous words, if music be the food of love, play on or Sinai says that. His relationship with the countess, Olivia, isn't going so well. She isn't reciprocating his love. And he says, if music be the food of love, play on, he says, in a hope that he could fill his appetite for love with, with music and not be desirous of this countess's love anymore. He wants to saturate himself with love. And this idea that music it is spiritual. This idea that music is beautiful, that music is the language of lovers, is so true to some of us. It came as a great surprise this week as Steve and I sat down with our Bibles open to think about the sermons we'd be preaching this week. But Steve said, you know what? I'm not really into music. And my jaw hit the floor. I thought everybody was into music. 
He said, actually, I've just had a meeting with someone. There were three of us in the meeting, and one of the other people in that meeting said, I'm not really into, into music either. I thought, well, that's 60% of a meeting. I've assumed everyone's into music. I, and, and so the chance of others, people in here, go, I don't get music at all. I love it. I have it everywhere. I have it from the moment I wake up. I put music on. Noise Joe, I'm sure, but I have music on. I know what I want to listen to because I wake up with a song in my heart. And I usually want to put that music on straight away. And I listen to it in the car, even in the short journey from home to church. I listen to music and I'll choose the song. I think, well, well, I want to listen to this. I don't want to choose the radio and it be random. I want to choose. I love music. Anyone know what these are? These are my underwater speakers. I, I'm not kidding. I love music so much that Joe bought me some, that's why they're on my goggles, you see. Bought me some underwater, gog, uh, some underwater earphones. They're MP3 player. And, and they just attach themselves to the, to the thing around the outside. And they go like, I mean, I look a sight. There's no, there's no two ways about it. With it. Here we go, look. You wouldn't want to see me piling into you, would you? There we go. And they, they work. They genuinely work. These, these things conduct the sound into my skull. Now, when my head's out of water, I can't hear much at all. It just sounds a bit tinny and not much there. But when you put your head underwater, the conduction works, and it just is like wearing earphones. There is nowhere I go without, without, without sound, without music. And I love it. It feeds me. It changes me. And for me, the most beautiful part of a week is coming here and worshipping. That's why even when Andy says, sit down, I can't. Everything, I can't, mate. I, I hate to be, you know, against the rules, but I can't. I want to be up. I'd dance if I could. And I can, but I won't. <laughs> but I love it. Everything now, okay, Steve, who doesn't get music, he's preaching tonight. So if you are not musical, if it isn't what is in you and you love it, then I'd recommend you come tonight to hear this sermon from the perspective of someone who doesn't like to sing, doesn't get singing. And for him, worship, sung worship, corporate worship, is a real sacrifice. It's like, I, I don't want to do this, but I know I want to do this because God wants me to do this. If that's you, I can't relate to you, but Steve can. And you can come tonight to the sermon this evening and, and, and hear that from his perspective. For me, I need it everywhere I go. I love worship. I've got three Ps this morning. The passage... The product and the process. Okay, the passage, the product and the process. The passage. Let's just have a look at this. Starts with these brilliant words. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. This is a lovely phrase. Getting drunk on wine leads to debauchery, he says. It leads us astray. It leads us away from God's presence. Because our, our, all our disciplines go, our integrity goes, becomes a lot more elastic. 
Don't get drunk on wine, Paul says. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit of God, which won't lead you astray, which will lead you closer to God and the very reason for being alive. Anything that is away from God is not why you were made. Everything that's to do with God is why you were made, and you'll find contentment and peace and joy in that. Other stuff, death, destruction, and heartache. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he says on the back of that, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. So first thing he says, speak to one another. It's something we do together. Though it is something we do on our own as well. Make music in your heart to the Lord. But it's something we do together, where everybody comes, where everybody is of one voice and, and sings loudly. Sings loudly with one voice. It's not solitary. It's not on our own. It's together. And it's so important. He says, sing psalms. We sung some brilliant psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So he's saying, sing the psalms, sing the canon, if you like, sing scripture, but also you can make up your own hymns and you can make up your own spiritual songs. In fact, there's evidence of that just a few verses above. If you've still got your Bible open, verse 14 is a first century Christian song. Don't know how it went. Wake up, O sleeper, arise from the dead. Poor, he didn't go like that. And Christ will shine on you. Sounds more like the Beatles, I know. But that's, that's the sort of, maybe not. Maybe I'm over-egging it there. But that's what it's saying. That's a spiritual song that Paul is quoting. You see, trouble with the Psalms, and I wonder if you noticed it this morning, they don't mention Jesus, not in a way that we'd understand. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, when we get to Matthew 6, we know that that shepherd is Jesus. Mark 6, sorry. We know that that shepherd is Jesus. But when we sing the Old Testament, there's a lot about Jesus that we have to do some work with. So he's saying, you know, sing hymns, sing spiritual songs. And in the one he quotes, Jesus, of course, is mentioned. And the light of Christ will shine on you. That's a beautiful thing. So we are to sing songs to one another. And they are to be spiritual. They're to be about God. Worship and praise. Two wonderful words. Worship, generally speaking, is glorifying God with our hearts and our voices for who he is. His splendor, his majesty, he is unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we worship, we glorify God because of his unchanging qualities. He is love, he is just, he is holy, he is immortal, he has no beginning or end. And we worship God like holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That's worship, praise on the other hand, is glorifying God with our hearts and our voices for what he 
has done. Worship who he is, praise what he's done. And we do it naturally. So last night, we were sitting down, family meal, and we had a steak pie. And I've got to tell you, it was a great steak pie. And so I turned to Joe and said, Joe, this is a great steak pie. To which Joe said, I only got it out of a box and heated it up. She doesn't really talk like that. And I thought, oh, whoops, I obviously haven't made enough fact of when Joe's made a real steak pie herself. So Callum also was enjoying it. Callum's at that age where he is quite literally in us out of house and home. Quite literally. And he has got his cheeks full like some hamster or gerbil. Big pieces of, uh, of steak in each cheek. And he says, hmm, I agree, mummy. This is delicious. But learning from my mistake, he says, the peas are nice too. <laughs> but this praise, C.S. Lewis says we have to do it. He says we were born to praise. When we see a good movie, when we read a great book, when we eat a great meal, we want to tell someone about it. We want to praise it. C.S. Lewis says actually it completes our enjoyment. We don't fully enjoy something until we can tell someone, I enjoyed it. And that's praise. When we speak the truth about what is happening, praise and worship. So in the passage, Paul says, spiritual songs, worship God for who he is. Worship and, and praise God for what he's done. Praise and worship, glorifying God. It's beautiful. And he says, and give thanks, always giving thanks. What he means by that is that this is a pleasure. Praise and worship, sung praise and worship, is a pleasure that ought never to lose its relish on our lips. It is an exercise, for those of us that don't enjoy singing so much, it is an exercise and a discipline of which we ought never to tire Always giving praise to God. So that's the passage. I want to think about the product. What happens when we worship? What's the product of worship? Well, I have got four things here. The first thing that happens is that we delight in God. I read this this week. Christian worshippers should be the happiest, most fulfilled, and most joyful people on earth. The reason we religious folk get nervous when anyone starts talking about enjoying anything is because we've been taught how to enjoy everyone and everything but God. That's the key. Our focus and delight should be in Him. The psalm says that at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Is God's word egging me on to be a pleasure seeker? It should be. God's word should be egging us on to be a pleasure seeker in him. Delight in him. He says, you bet. As long as the pleasure is found in him, those who have truly had a glimpse of his beauty 
and tasted of his goodness, know that there really is joy unspeakable and he really is full of glory. We can agree passionately with the psalmist and Andy and say better is one day in your courts than thousands anywhere else. So when we sing worship together, we delight in God. And there is a joy. And I even see Steve smile when he sings, there is a redeemer. There is a deep joy in delighting in God. That's the first thing. Second thing is that he delights in us. It's two-way. As we delight in God, we know that he delights in us. You think about Jesus, his obedience. He got baptized. He didn't need to be baptized. But he said, I do this to fulfill all obedience. And we're told that heaven was torn open and a voice shouted down from heaven, this is my son, with him I am well pleased. Because you are in Christ. When you worship, the voice from heaven shouts down, with you I am well pleased. God delights if he holds you up and to the angels and the archangels and he says that's my Mary see how she worships me she's beautiful I've read this before but I, I really I really want to read it a- again it's called the father's love letter this is what it says My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. Psalm 139, verse 1. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. 139, verse 2. I am familiar with all your ways. That's verse 3. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. Matthew 10, 29, 31. For you were made in my image. Genesis chapter 1, 27. In me you live and move and have your being. Acts 17, 28. I knew you before you were conceived. That's Jeremiah 1. You were not a mistake. All your days are written in my book. Psalm 139. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. Acts 17. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, 14. I knit you together in your mother's womb, verse 13. And I brought you forth on the day you were born, Psalm 71, verse 6. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love, 1 John 4, verse 16. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, 1 John 3, verse 1. Simply because you are my child and I am your father, 1 John 3, verse 1. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, Matthew 7, 11. For I am the perfect father, Matthew 5, 48. Every good gift that you have received comes from my hand, James 1, 17. For I am your provider and I meet all your needs, Matthew 6, 
31 to 33. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Because I love you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. My thoughts towards you are as countless as sand on the seashore. Psalm 139, 17 and 18. And I rejoice over you with singing. I rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3 verse 17. I will never stop doing good to you. Jeremiah 32 verse 40. For you are my treasured possession. Exodus 19 verse 5. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. Imagine that. God says, I long to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. Jeremiah 32, 41. And I want to show you great and marvelous things. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, verse 4. For it is I who gave you those desires. Philippians 2 verse 13. I am able to do more than all you could possibly imagine. Ephesians 3 verse 20. I am your greatest encourager. 2 Thessalonians 2 16. I am also the father who comforts you in your troubles. 2 Corinthians 1 3 and 4. The God of all comfort. When you are broken hearted, I am close to you. Psalm 34, verse 18. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. Isaiah 40, verse 11. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I will take away all the pain You have suffered on earth. Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4. I am your father and I love you even as I love my son Jesus. John 17 verse 23. For in Jesus my love for you is revealed. John 17 26. He is the exact representation of my being. Hebrews 1 verse 3. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you. Romans 8.31 And to tell you, I am not counting your sins. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 18 to 19 Jesus died so that you and I can be reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5.18 and 19 His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. 1 John 4 verse 10 he gave up, I sorry, I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. Romans 8, 31 to 32. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. 1 John 2, 23. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Romans 8, 38 to 39. Come home. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. Luke 15 verse 7. I have always been father. I will always be father. Ephesians 3, 14. My question is, will you be my child? John 1, 12 to 13. 
And it ends with this. I'm waiting for you. Luke 15, 11 to 12. It's the prodigal father waiting for the son. Day after day, looking out, hoping and waiting. I'm waiting for you. All my love, Abba, Daddy. He delights in you. When we worship, we delight in God. When we worship, he delights in us. Third thing, we draw near to God. When we worship, we enter a thin place where heaven and earth touch. That's why in a few weeks' time, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in worship. God and us come near. And it's not the worship leader who does that. It's not the songs that do that. It's Jesus who has done it by his blood shed on the cross for us. That's why it doesn't matter what kind of song we sing. It doesn't matter if it's even our style or our taste. As long as we worship in spirit and truth, we come near to God because of the blood of Christ. And so Hebrews tells us that, that, that he has made a way for us. By his blood, we can enter the very throne room of God to find grace and mercy in our time of need. That's the third thing. We draw near to God and he draws near to us. The fourth thing. I've actually got five things. I didn't realize. There you go. The fourth thing is we are changed. We are changed. When we worship God corporately, when we sing, God is moving and changing. Think about Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. There he is worshipping in the temple. You remember what happens? The angel flies over with the coal and touches his lips. And the same thing is happening when we are worshipping. When we worship in spirit and truth, God is coming and he's touching, he's strengthening, he's holding, he's bringing hope and he's bringing comfort. All of that is happening and we are being changed. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces behold his glory. And we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When we worship God, he meets us and directly ministers to us. He strengthens our faith, intensifies our awareness of his presence, and grants refreshment to our souls. It is not just coming and singing. It is being changed by God. The fifth thing that happens, the fifth product of worship, is that God's enemies flee. There is power. In the name of Jesus. At his name. You remember that? At his name. God's enemies. Shall be crushed. Beneath his feet. For there is no other name. That is higher. Than Jesus. Kind of hoping you'd join me. But once I started, I was committed. 
But thanks a lot for that. You do it to me every time. When we worship, God's enemies flee. That's why when the armies went out in the Old Testament, they had the worshippers, the Levites, leading them out with, with, with tunes and trumpets and song and singing. Because when worship is worship, when we praise and we worship, God's enemies scatter. He can't be in the presence of worship of God. You remember why he fell in the first place? He fell in the first place, and I'm talking about Satan, because he couldn't stand the worship and adoration that God was receiving. And he wanted a piece of it. He was cast out of heaven and there was war. He can't stand it. What was that old saying about Satan flees when the weakest Christian gets on their knees? It's true. When we worship, God's enemies flee. So it's incredible. We delight in God. He delights in us. We draw near to God. We are changed. And God's enemies flee. That's the passage. That's the product. What's the process? How do we do this? And you know what? It's dead simple. It ain't rocket science. What we do is we stand. So why don't we stand? So what we do, there are times when we sit in worship. And that's good and that's right. Sometimes some of us don't like that because we're activists. But it's okay to sit sometimes and sometimes we aren't able to stand. But we stand because we are actively doing something. We are focusing our hearts and our minds on who God is. So perhaps someone would just shout out some truths about who God is. Like he's rock. He's everlasting. Go on, someone else, shout one out. He's healer. Others. I am. Strong tower. Come on, keep going. Keep going. Amen. Keep going. Yeah, amen. That's worship. And we think about who he is. And we see that before us. And we think about it in our heads and in our hearts. Who God is. And we think about what he's done. He sent Jesus. Think about what he's done for you this week. Where he's been close to you. Just close your eyes now. You don't need to speak it out. Where has God met with you this week? Where has God been active? Think about what he's done for you. Think about how he's healed you, held you, not forgotten you. Oh, God is good. And then what we do is we ask God himself to come and help us worship him. This is key. We ask God himself to help us. Because in our own strength, with our own flesh, we won't do it. We'll be looking at the singers. We'll be thinking about the songs. We'll be thinking about ourselves. But we want to think about who God is and what he's done. So we need to come and ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Fill your people. Allow us to praise you. And we do this every time we meet. Every time we sing together, we ask God to come. So Holy Spirit, Andy and the band, you want to come up? Holy Spirit, as the musicians come, 
Would you fill our hearts? May we worship you in spirit and truth. Would you burn up that in us which stops us worshipping you? May we cast off everything that hinders us. Father, the preoccupations that crowd in, the sin which so easily entangles, would you remove it from us, Lord? May we be able to, in your grace, set our hearts and minds on you. In Jesus' name, amen.